This is Masters of Dispute Resolution on PodClips. Masters of Dispute Resolution is designed to provide those involved in the mediation process with the views of the most experienced and accomplished mediators and others experienced in the process. Through our discussions, you will gain insight into how to address and overcome difficult issues and achieve more satisfying results in mediation. Your host is Len Levy, mediator and arbitrator with ADR Services, Inc., a leading alternative dispute resolution provider. Lynn litigated complex cases for more than 30 years and has been a mediator since 1998 and is a member of the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. He has been recognized as a super lawyer in alternative dispute resolution each year since 2014. And now your host, Lynn Levy. Thank you, Daryl. Welcome, everyone. And thank you for joining us on Masters of Dispute Resolution, a mini seminar which will add tools to your mediation toolbox. We're brought to you by Lawyers Pacific Insurance Brokerage, Inc., the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals, and ADR Services, Inc. Now, this season, our third, we're we're changing the format just a bit. We're, We're still providing insights into the mediation process, but we will be doing so through the power of storytelling. In each episode, you will hear a story about a conflict, the impact the conflict had on the lives of the parties involved, how resolution was reached, or maybe not, and lessons to be taken from that conflict and its resolution. Many of the details of the story you are about to hear have been modified to preserve the confidentiality essential to mediation while also conveying the essence of the conflict and its resolution. Uh, Joining me today is a very good friend of mine. I I hesitate to use the word old because that really mostly applies to me. Uh, But uh, we we have been longtime friends, and uh, I'm really privileged to to have Lee J on this show. Uh, he is, I, I will tell you, and, and I'm not going to get very much blowback on this one from anyone. Uh, Lee J is a dispute resolution superstar and a pioneer in the field. Uh, he is very unusual in his uh, practice because not only does Lee J mediate litigated cases, Uh, A large portion of his practice also deals with non-litigated cases and not just non-litigated cases, but non-litigated cases where parties are sometimes represented by counsel, sometimes not represented by counsel. And now Lee J became a full-time Los Angeles mediator, I believe it was about 28 years ago, and has since mediated well over 2,500 cases, um, and and not only is he a uh, an international Academy of Mediators Distinguished Fellow and a National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals Chartered Diplomat, uh, he's also uh, a Master Mediator and Panelist for Employment Matters uh, with the American Arbitration Association. Uh, he's on the uh, AAA National Roster for Commercial and Construction Disputes. And in addition to his mediation practice, uh, Lee Jay 
trains mediators through the American Institute of Mediation uh, locally and around the world. Uh, he uh, tells the story today of a successful business in an episode that I will call Mediating to Avoid Destruction of a Successful Business. So, Lee J, what happened that brought this mediation to you? Len, I love your title for the uh, episode because um, it really was mediating to avoid the destruction of a successful business. And thank you for all the amazingly kind words and accolades. Um, and it's great to be back with you again. So what brought them to me was, uh, like most cases, the attorneys. Uh, one of the things that you and I both know is that having really good counsel in a case makes all the difference. And in this case, it really did. Um, a couple of very good attorneys had clients who were partners in the business and um, suspected and then uncovered and discovered that one had been embezzling money from the business. Um, to be perfectly accurate, the, the business was two men who were partners and it was the wife of one of the partners who was also the bookkeeper who had been, a, a, I won't even say allegedly, they'd be, they found that she had been creating false invoices and funneling money off to a side account. And over the period of about three years had embezzled something like $400,000 out the back door of this company. And so the lawyers brought them to me saying, we want um, a solution that's amicable. Nobody, these guys don't hate each other. Even after this has happened, they've been partners for 20 some years, 23 years, I think it was. And, um, and we want to be able to work it out, but also we want to take advantage of the confidentiality of the mediation process. So we want to do this really behind closed doors where nobody else can poke their nose under the tent to learn what's going on here. Well, that's an area that I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with having done fidelity bond cases, uh, over the years. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine that the problems that existed because of the wife's embezzlement uh, caused uh, were, were caused by a kind of a divided loyalty, or was that the attitude of the of the husband, or or not? Interestingly, the husband basically played dumb. He insisted throughout the entire mediation, and this is a mediation that went three and a half days spread over time. We did a full day. We took weeks off and came back and did a, another full day with homework in between. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, they had to go talk to tax attorneys and other things about the implications of some of the directions we were looking at going. Um, but throughout the entirety of the process, he claimed that she always had her own accounts and so did he, and that she was able to pay for some of their vacations, but that he had no idea that she had done this and didn't realize that there was extra money in her accounts that he didn't know about. So um, when somebody does something wrong, it's always helpful to come clean with it if you're going to really resolve it in a way that's that's truly a win-win and that's intended to rebuild trust or anything like that. Um, and in this case, it, the, the innocent partner, if you will, had trouble believing that his 23-year partner didn't know. How could he not know? Um, and then to complicate things, the innocent partner, let's just call him, um, came to the mediation with his wife in the first session. Mm -hmm. And the wife was the one who was really upset and who absolutely despised and didn't trust the other partner now 
And, you know, she was furious. We actually agreed uh, quietly and strategically to remove her from the process directly after the first mediation because she was getting in the way of us having some of the discussions that we needed to have to move things forward. Right. And and the idea going into this uh, was, was not just to preserve confidentiality, I, I imagine, but also, you know, you have a business that was a successful business and you don't want to kill the goose that laid the golden egg. Uh, but how do you uh, how do you approach it, uh, especially given the attitudes of the party? This one was really interesting. Um, the The parties didn't show up with a lot of attitude. The innocent partner was upset and and was um, a bit of a hornet in the first part of the first mediation. But by midday that day, he was able to see that in order for us to get a resolution, he was going to have to take a different attitude. And to his credit and his lawyer's credit, he really did sort of turn the battleship around and open his mind up to being focused on potential solutions um, rather than just venting and being angry and, and, and talking about the betrayal and distrust and all of that. So the solution that, that comes to mind uh, in terms of approach is to get the parties moving on what's called a, part, a, a, a problem solving venture not a back and forth hardball i'll get as much as i can right right and that's how the innocent partner began the day he's going to pay he's going to pay dearly and all that sort of thing but as we'll discover in a, in a few moments it was more complex and there were more layers to it than that we are going to get into the more complex layers uh after a break and uh, we are on podclips.io. Uh, I'm Len Levy. I'm chatting with Lee J. Berman on Masters of Dispute Resolution. Masters of Dispute Resolution would like to thank ADR Services Incorporated, your partner in resolution, and its founder, Lucy Barron, for supporting this podcast. ADR Services is one of the leading providers of alternative dispute resolution in California. Leveraging technology to drive resolution, ADR Services is committed to dynamism in the face of growing client need and an ever-evolving legal climate. Now operating offices in all major legal markets of California, ADR Services provides unparalleled in-person and remote resolution services through its exclusive panel comprised of more than 130 of the most distinguished and talented neutrals across the state, capable of handling challenging and complex mediations, arbitration, and other procedures in every field of law. When you seek the services of a neutral and you want results and satisfied clients, contact ADR Services, www.adrservices.com. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution. And I am Len Levy. You're listening to... Uh, Lee J. Berman, uh, in a role of storyteller, uh, talking about the the mediation that saved a business from destruction. And uh, Lee J., uh, one of the things that we that we were talking about when we broke was the approach uh, being problem solving. Can, can you get into that and how it applied here? Absolutely. So in order to effectively problem solve and for me to add value, it was important that I understood all of the underpinnings of the case. So we have here a, a guy, a partner 
whose wife had embezzled money out of the business, his role in the business, his half of the contribution to the partnership was that he was the client relations guy. He was the business development guy. He, so this is, um, we're going to use the, uh, the setting of a real estate agency and uh, he wasn't the broker of record. His partner was the, the one we're calling the innocent partner was um, he was the one who had the relationships with all the developers to bring in the, the big transactions, the new housing tracts to sell the new high rises, all that sort of thing. He had the relationship with the big hotshot developers all over the County and without those connections, the business wouldn't have had the clientele to do, to be as profitable and successful as they were. So the other gentleman, the other innocent partner, he was the more technical one. He was the broker of record. He's the one who oversaw all the escrows and the paperwork and hired all the agents and did all the, the, the back office work, but he didn't have relationships with the clients. He had relationships with the agents. So as we started to unpack this, I started to ask questions like, so if the two of you do split up this partnership and one buys the other one out with some compensation for the, the, the money that's missing, where do the agents go and where do the clients go? And questions like that started to demonstrate to us the complexity of problem solving because it wasn't as easy as just you go your way, I'll go mine because there was a viable, successful business that we were, that was the goose that laid the golden eggs here that we were trying to figure out how to divide. Now, did you do this in the context of a, a, a separate caucus or a joint session? Because oftentimes the best solutions are those that the that the parties come up with, not the ones that we come up with as mediators. Absolutely. Yeah. And so at this point, I wasn't offering solutions. I was just poking and prodding and asking questions in a joint session to make them both think about and, and see what I was seeing, which is the interdependence. So as mediators, we always have a choice about what to ask. We can direct the conversation by the questions we ask. I had, you know, I think a lot of our colleagues, Len, who do nothing but litigated cases and who are, you know, practice law for 20 something years or sat on the bench might have gone to what's a jury going to do with this? And, you know, how, what are the damages and how are you going to demonstrate them in open court? And, you know, those sort of more traditional lines of questioning, like I tend to think of them. So this, I came from, it. I think it's important that we look at a problem from the legal lens, because that's the shadow of the law that we're negotiating under, right? I mean, ultimately this goes to a, a trial and a, a judge or a jury makes a decision about it. So we have to look at it through that lens. And I think it's a lost opportunity if we're not also looking at it through the business lens and what happens to the business, not just goodwill and dollars and cents, but that what makes the business successful and how do we preserve that so that it keeps feeding all these families. And then also the people lens and the dynamics you were asking about, about the relationships between the parties. And I think we have to look at all those varied perspectives and talk them all through before we can really effectively start being creative and problem solving, because like you're saying, the solutions or potential solutions for discussion raise themselves once we start breaking down all the rest of the complications, the interdependence um, and, and the shared responsibilities that they have. Well, one of the things that 
it seems to me they're going to have to do is get a new bookkeeper to start out. <laughs> yeah, and who's going to hire this one? And yes, exactly. So the the difficulty is you have parties who recognize now recognize that there are problems that they have to come up with solutions for. Exactly. Uh, they will determine what will work and what won't work. Um, and, and let me just add parenthetically, uh, going to court is not a problem-solving exercise. <laughs> well, it solves one problem. <laughs> right. right. So how did they approach that with your guidance, Legion? So we certainly talked through with the lawyers and let the lawyers talk through in front of the clients what the litigation might look like and how that would play out and what a jury would hear and what they'd be asked on the stand and all of that. Um, as we discussed that, the clients whispered in their lawyer's ears and then the lawyers said, no, it's okay, you can say this in front of him. And one of the things we learned, and, and it's anonymous, so we can talk about this on your show, Len, mm. we learned that the partners had been paid cash by a lot of their regular clients and at the end of every year had both taken cash that they may or may not have reported on their tax returns. And that if there was a full audit that would be part of a forensic accounting process and the litigation process, they would both be caught sort of with their hands in the cookie jar. And there would be all sorts of taxes and implications, um, certainly at the federal tax level and, and others, if not also perhaps, you know, criminal and fiduciary and everything else, especially with embezzlement. Embezzlement, thank you. Yes. Yeah. The uh, situation is uh, very similar to one I, I, I handled many, many years ago. Um, and right down to the last element that you just uh, that you just talked about, they can't th this can't see the light of day, so to speak. And um, uh, I would imagine also that one of the things that had to concern the uh, the partner whose wife embezzled was, uh, is he going to have to be visiting her behind bars? Yes, yes, that that was absolutely a concern, and and you said it exactly right when you said this can't see the light of day. So the legal lens told us that. The business lens, when we started talking about where do the agents go and where do the clients go, these were things they hadn't thought about at all and really needed to, to contemplate. And then in a couple of minutes, we'll talk more about the personal lens, the relationship lens between them, because it, to answer your earlier question, in a caucus, I did ask the innocent partner, what happens to your business if he leaves? Mm -hmm. Where does he go? And the, the answer to that question was, he goes to one of my competitors. And I said, and he takes all of your clients and those relationships with him to your competitor. And he said, yeah, I guess so. I hadn't thought about that, but I don't know the clients. There'd be no reason for them to stay with me if he was, if he was gone. And this is one of those guys who was a fun-loving guy. He took the clients on these wild booze cruises down to Mexico where they did three-day benders together. I mean, he, he was old school to the nth degree. And the way he, he cemented these client relationships, these guys loved him, couldn't wait for the next cruise. And if he had jumped to a competitor, they would have followed him in a heartbeat. So we had to talk to the, the innocent partner, the broker, about how are you going to keep the business afloat? And what is one for you if you buy him out and send him away and say, you're a jerk and I don't trust you anymore? 
a clear a clear indication of why the mediation has to in this case especially has to be approached not from a win as much as you can approach but from a perspective of of what the ramifications are going to be personally and we're going to get into those personal ramifications and see things through a personal lens when we return this is len levy i'm with lee j berman on masters of dispute resolution most attorneys need professional liability coverage but very few are professional liability experts and there are so many options when it comes to legal malpractice insurance how do you know how much coverage you need what should your policy limits be what if you've had a past claim? You shouldn't have to take time away from helping your clients to research professional liability coverage. And with lawyer-specific insurance brokerage on your side, you don't need to. Their professional liability experts shop California's leading insurance carriers to find your firm the right coverage at the best price. Lawyer-specific founders Al and Debbie Hernandez have over 50 years combined experience working with the highest rated providers of lawyers' professional liability insurance. So trust the brokerage with access to over 40 carriers in California to find a cost-effective malpractice insurance solution for your firm. Go to LawyersPacific.com and click Request a Quote. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution where we are hearing the story entitled mediating to avoid destruction of a successful business and when we broke we were talking about the different lenses through which solutions had to be viewed bj why don't you talk about the personal lens through which the solutions came about yeah, Len, um, this is a tough one. If you can imagine yourself and if the listeners can imagine themselves as who we're calling the innocent partner in this case, the one from whom the money was embezzled effectively and was embezzled from the partnership, but it was done by the wife of his partner, right? So um, the innocent partner, here you are, your partner has, your partner's wife has been embezzling uh, allegedly without your knowledge for three years for $400,000 that got siphoned out of the business and where your your male ego and um, retribution and everything human nature about you wants to just strangle the guy and say, how could you do this to me after 23 years of partnership? Now you have to think about if he leaves and takes all the clients with him, you don't have clients and, and you may have the best shop in the world and you may even retain all of the, the realtors, all the agents. But if you don't have the clients walking in with the big, big deals to sell, then you've got to go basically start from scratch. You're like a startup business all over again. So he bit the bullet and realized it was in his best interest to keep a relationship alive with this guy on a business level which took a lot of convincing of his wife, as you can imagine, because she was especially upset about this. Um, and he realized that, you know, like we say, good fences make good neighbors. In this case, good lawyers also made good fences. So he looked at his lawyer and said, can you draft me a buy-sell agreement where we can buy him out as an owner, get credit back for all the money that was embezzled? So basically, we're buying him out for almost nothing. And 
allows him to stay on and keep his clients on because the the embezzling partner was 62 and had committed to he himself and his wife that he was going to retire at 65. So he said, I only have three years left. So the innocent partner turns to his lawyer and says, if I can convince my wife and if I can swallow my pride enough to keep him on, can you protect me from for three years so that he doesn't come into the shop? He doesn't yell at the agents anymore. He doesn't interact with us. He has no signing authority on the bank accounts and build me a wall between him and me, but one that the cl the clients won't see and they'll see nothing change. And that's where you needed a really good lawyer on that side to say, yeah, I can do that for you. And and that that also illustrates the, the, the thought process that you've just described, illustrates that nobody reaches a deal, even the embezzling partner, unless there's something in it for him. The, yes. the whiff them, what's in it for me yes. on this deal. Exactly. And the embezzling partner, he didn't really want to go set up shop somewhere else and you know be partners or, or you know have a role with somebody else who he didn't know as well. Um, he didn't want to have to go to the, the clients and explain to them why he was leaving and selling to his partner and moving over somewhere else where maybe he wasn't a partner. He needed the invisibility of this to save face. The innocent partner needed to save face with the employees, with the clients, with his wife, um, and with the public. So keeping it uh, seemingly intact was the best for each of them to save face, though it required some swallowing of pride and, um, and letting go of the desire for revenge on behalf of the innocent partner. And we never had an apology from the offending partner because like we said he claimed ignorance about this all the way through um, we we negotiated the dollars of a buy sell deal which had its own complications because there was potential liability and you know at this point the the lawyers were saying if this goes to trial and it gets out you're going to have to file revised tax returns and you're going to have to give the the wife who embezzled the money a w-2 and and all of these things um, all and not to mention their own hands in the pot we talked about. So there were so many complications that the thing that made this mediation really work was understanding these complications, but also giving them the time, the breathing space. So many mediations because the lawyers and the mediators both want to say, you come in here at nine o'clock, you don't leave until it's done. If that's two in the morning, that's fine we needed the opposite here. We needed to be counterintuitive and to say, let's take a week and have innocent partner go talk to his wife, guilty partner go consider his options and then come back and we'll problem solve. And then we, as we started to problem solve, let's have each of you go in the next two weeks and get the advice of good tax attorneys and your CPA about the implications of all of this. And then let's come back and discuss the next step. And then at the end, we started talking about the buy-sell and that it made more sense for it to be an asset purchase and to fold down the old corporation, again, invisible to the eyes of the agents and, and the clients to the greatest degree possible. So it really took finessing the emotions, the legal side, the business side, and making sure we, we were 
addressing everything we'd learned about all of the interests through all those lenses to wrap that all into a solution, which is why you and I were saying from the beginning, you know, one of my favorite expressions is the right answer at the wrong time is right. the wrong answer. So the fact that this took six or seven weeks to unfold and we had a mediation every couple of weeks, a full day mediation, and then sent them back off with more homework was what was needed. Because if I had said to them on the first day, first thing in the morning, hey, how about this? How about you retain the guy who just embezzled from you, keep him on in a business development role, buy him out as a as a partner, get your money back and you know, stay in business with the guy for three years, he would have laughed at me and thought me insane. And and look, the parties have to get used to and get comfortable with the solutions because the solutions are going to dictate what life is going to be like after the mediation. Exactly, which is something, Len, you and I are two of, I think, a very small handful of people who think about that. I think this is one of the dangers if you're a mediator, especially as a judge, but if they're also a 25-year litigator, they think about the conclusion being a, a verdict at trial or you know, not, not counting appeals and so on, right? But they think that's the end of it. And very few think beyond that about what happens next. And when we do think about what happens next, a lot of folks think about collectability of a judgment or something, but this is what happens next to the business, what happens next to the people, what happens to their marriages, what, you know, all of those things. It's the difference between settling a case and resolving a conflict. Yes, yes. And this was a very, very intertwined conflict um, with, uh, it needed a complex solution that understood the depth and, and the layers of the conflict and also the legal ramifications and, and the business, you know, the, the, the buy, sell, the asset purchase instead of buying a partner out and, you know, avoiding taxes by doing some of that, avoiding contingent future liability, all those sorts of things. Well, it, it and it, it's not just finding the solutions. It's having the parties become comfortable yeah. that the solutions are going to work. And there is also still going to be an element, even in problem solving uh, negotiations, uh, there's always going to be an element of, did I get everything I should have gotten? And that's that's something that that still has to be kept in mind. I, I know when I teach uh, my my students in my negotiations class and they say, well, they're doing problem solving, somebody will I'll see a videotape of them coming up with a solution the other side side going, okay, well, you know, let that's that's uh, you know, being cooperative doesn't mean uh, allowing the other side to just get whatever they want in the first instance. So uh, you can you can be cooperative and you can come up with solutions. and it helps also if one other thing, and we're going to get into takeaways in just a moment. But one of the takeaways is, at least in my mind, it helps to have the mediator who understands the limitations of the process and the limitations of the facts. And when we return to Masters of Dispute Resolution, we will be talking about some of those things. I'm Len Levy. I'm talking with Lee J. Berman. And we will be back. 
Masters of Dispute Resolution is sponsored by the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. NADN is the premier invitation-only association of civil mediators and arbitrators in the United States with members in every state of the nation. Only experienced ADR professionals who are widely acceptable to local plaintiff and defense firms are invited to join the Academy's roster. The Academy's website, NADN.org, is the most widely visited neutrals database in the world today. With over 40,000 law offices, insurance companies, and corporations visiting our free website annually. Firms can search for neutrals by many criteria, including location, case expertise, qualifications, language skills, and most NADN members also publish their available dates, calendars, online, making NADN.org the go-to website for law firms wishing to schedule appointments online with their preferred mediators. For more information, please visit www.nadn.org today. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm Len Levy, and we're talking with Lee J. Berman about how his mediation avoided destruction of a successful business. And Lee J., we're getting into some of the some of the takeaways here. And um, what comes to mind first uh, about the the perhaps the biggest takeaway from this? Well. Before I jump into the first takeaway, let me first just tell you the rest of what the solution was, because I think it's relevant. So at the end of the day, the innocent partner ended up buying out his partner. Um, As as you wisely pointed out during the break, um, the credit for the embezzled money, only half of that went to the innocent partner because the other half effectively belonged to the the guilty partner because it was a 50-50 partnership. Um, So they, they worked out the numbers, they worked out the asset purchase, they made new business cards up for the, the the guilty partner that simply said business development or director of business development or something like that. He was on a 1099. He was incented with a percentage of all the business he brought in so that he would keep bringing the business in. And, and that's how his pay was structured. He was no longer an owner and, and coveted that he wouldn't ever um, you know lead people to believe he was an owner. And um, of course, you know, his wife was gone, a new bookkeeper, as you pointed out. Um, but so he continued to do business. And over the three years between 62 and 65, when he retired, there was a plan put in place for the ways in which he was going to introduce his partner to these clients and help the partner build these relationships and own those relationships so that at 65, when he agreed to retire, uh, and this was all in the contract. Uh, in the settlement agreement when he agreed to retire at 65 by then the innocent partner would have replaced him enough in those relationships that he held them himself and that the clients would stay and so it was this was the the avoiding the destruction of the successful business and, and this was one of those things where like you were saying just before the break they did have to go home and think about this and live with it and sit with it for about two weeks so takeaways uh, my first takeaway was people can have their eyes opened to do what's in their best interest and overcome their initial emotional reaction. If you give them the time and if you can speak to the emotions and then appeal to the rational side of their brain, 
but first the emotions have to get out or they'll never hear the rational side. Right. And, and that's, that's something in terms of, uh, I, I mean, I've heard a number of attorneys say, well, we should know within the first 30 minutes uh, whether this will settle or not. Right. So much. So, so that tells us a lot about that attorney, right? That attorney means if they come in asking for a million dollars and we're offering them 10,000 and we've got authority to 50,000 or 75 or 100 that day, then we know it's not going to work. And that that's all they're thinking about. They're not thinking outside of the context of the litigation. They're not thinking about any other implications. And frankly, Len, in some cases, that's all we need to think about. Some cases present in a way where there aren't those other variables, but we just have to have our eye out for when they do. Aside from not rushing uh, and, and becoming comfortable with things, uh, the actual way in which the parties thought about each other had to be adjusted in part through the process. Yes. Upon discovery. So what had happened is the, the, the embezzling partner, let's call him and his wife went on a vacation. They went on a two week cruise. So where somebody had uncovered something that led to some suspicions, they took her computer and went through it with a forensic guy while they were on this cruise. So while they're away and they knew they weren't going to walk into the office at any point, they discovered false invoices that she was uh, short-sighted enough to create on her work computer in a Word document. And they found, you know, everything they needed to prove that she created these false invoices and paid money to a bank account. And she had all those records on her work computer. So they knew what they had. And he walked into the mediation with that same initial outrage. How could he do this to me? I want to clobber this guy. I want to rip his throat out, you know, all that stuff. Um, so, yeah, it, it, this is one, you know, with baseball players, Len, any sport, we say we have to let the game come to you, right? right? You, you can't be rushing and, you know, we've seen our, our UCLA Bruins rush their shots the last couple of games like they're afraid they're going to be blocked instead of just being in their normal shooting rhythm and it it's like that for us we have to let the game come to us and deal with what's presented in front of us and to do that we've got to be paying an awful lot of attention to every single thing that's said because there are nuggets in there that if we miss them we're missing opportunities for being more creative and, and imaginative with a solution but it's also allowing it the time to unfold. And you and I both had the experience where lawyers are going, okay, I'm going to give this one more hour. And if we're not here by then, well, you know, that that's their prerogative, but we can't change the game to fit their schedule. We've got to let it unfold as it unfolds. And in this case, they really needed, the, you couldn't believe how differently they walked in the door after being gone for two weeks since the last mediation you could just see that they were settled, they'd accepted, they'd resolved themselves, they changed their orientation. And I was dealing with different people each time they came back in the door, but especially with the innocent partner. So the time and letting it come to you was another real takeaway, another real learning for me on this one. You know, the idea of trust in business and trust in your personal relationships is is one that I hold dear, dear to my heart, and I know you do as well. The sense of betrayal, uh, it, it it would seem to me, 
would be an impediment to getting the solution? I mean, how how does how did that get overcome? So, Len, this is the beauty of the the sort of people side, the psychological side. When somebody feels betrayed, the part of them, and this is we have to look at people as parts, not as a whole. The part of them that feels betrayed is their ego, their pride. The logical part of them sees that if they punish this partner and he takes the clients and leaves, that we're going to be bankrupt in a year. So it's about appealing to the different parts of them and helping them see the different parts of them. And frankly, I had to say to the innocent partner at one point, I had to be a little firm with him a couple of times and say, look, it's your business, it's your choice. But this is a little bit like what they say about marriage. Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? You know, do you want to pound this guy into submission to satisfy your ego that he didn't get the best of you? Or does your ego want to be running a very, very successful business three years, five years from now? And what do you need to do here today to get you to that spot, which is a more rational decision and and a longer term perspective? And I really had to corner him and make him see that that's what he was choosing between. And that's the moment where he he turned and said, I see what you're saying. You're actually looking out for my best interest here. And I said, it's the only thing I'm looking out for. You know, so so often, um, I what comes to mind uh, in, in mediating cases and, and cases like this uh, is an expression my dad used to use. And my dad always had, always would say, you know, if you want to get from point A to point B, you have to figure out where point B is. Oh, yeah. What point B is. Yes. And, and so in, in this case, focusing on where he wanted to be, where the innocent partner wanted to be at the end of the mediation was, uh, or after the mediation, is, is what helped. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so many people, and this applies to every case we mediate, Len. So many people walk in the door wanting just to be somewhere other than A, that we have to kind of wrangle them in and help them really clearly identify B. And sometimes great lawyers are sitting right there with us and helping us ask the clients these questions. Other times they're they're fighting the litigated, you know, soundbite. And we have to sort of say, hold the horses, let's explore a little bit more first. Well, Lee J, I wish we could explore a little bit more today, but we are unfortunately out of time. And I want to thank you so much for agreeing to have this conversation and to relate this story. This was uh, this was a fascinating, fascinating story. Um, and I know we this isn't the last time you'll be on the show. I know that. Well, thank you, Lynn. This has been so much fun exploring this with you. And I, I love having these conversations with you because you so understand it and you know exactly where to take the discussion. So thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure, Lee J. Believe me. Um, and I, I want to thank uh, Daryl Wayne, uh, my engineer and producer. And uh, I'm your host, Lynn Levy. This is Masters of Dispute Resolution on podclips.io, powered by Infogen Labs, Inc., Uh, I hope you will continue to enjoy the stories we bring you. And in the meantime, stay well, keep listening, and remember, peace of mind is enhanced 
when conflicts are resolved. If you wish to contact Len Levy, you can reach him through his email at lslevy at advertisements.com, through Len's website, lenlevymediate.com, telephone him at 818 903 5562, or contact his case manager at ADR Services 213 683 1600.